You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians this morning. 1 Corinthians. Starting a new year, starting a new book of the Bible. Um, we had done uh, the first 11, well, we didn't make it all the way through the 11 chapters of Genesis, but we got a good chunk of that done. Um, but here we're going to be looking at this book that is found in the New Testament, that it's a letter written by Paul to this church in the city of Corinth. And so while you're turning there, uh, I want to point out kind of an observation that I've made uh, over the years, and uh, I don't think it's unique to me in any real way, uh, but I experience it every year uh, this time. Post-Christmas, I have this, like, post-Christmas letdown. Um, I, I enjoy this build-up to Christmas. I enjoy... The, the parties, the, the food, I really enjoy the food more than I should. I enjoy uh, the, the lights, the decorations, I enjoy all that stuff. And then come December 26th, everything just kind of falls back down and it's, you know, nose back to the grindstone, get back to work. In, in fact, every year I, you know, Whitney's always like, hey, we should take this stuff down. I'm like, no, let's leave it up. Let's, I mean, partly because I'm lazy and partly because I like looking at it. I like sitting in the the room with the tree and looking at the the tree with the lights and all the homemade ornaments and stuff it it really kind of warms my heart you know to see that when it's just so cold and kind of gray outside and so there's something about the christmas season that just i know personally brings me war- warmth and joy and and i don't want that to end and so several weeks ago we preached or i preached on on mary we read about mary and the song she sang whenever she was told by the angel that she was about to give birth to the Messiah. And she sang this amazing song that's found at the end of Luke chapter 1. And in it, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things. And what we see here is that we all have the spiritual hunger. And, and, and Mary had the spiritual hunger. And, and what Mary says here isn't unique to just Mary. We find this uh, thought throughout the Old Testament. As Titus read in uh, Psalms 107 this morning, it says that God satisfies the longing of our soul and the hungry, hungry soul he fills with good things. In that same psalm, uh, he says, some wandered in the desert wasteland and they were hungry and thirsty and their souls fainted with them. Now, that's what I want us to see. That's kind of the overarching theme of today is that we all have this spiritual hunger in our hearts. It's not just a hunger, a physical hunger for physical food, but it's this spiritual hunger. And apart from Christ, we wander aimlessly in, in, in what the Psalms call a dry and weary land where there is no water. So without Him, without Jesus, relief is beyond reach. And that has been part of the human condition all the way back to what we studied towards the end of last year in Genesis, all the way back to the garden when Adam and Eve tried to feel their spiritual hunger by eating of this tree that they were, not, they were told not to eat from, right? They, they pursued fulfilling the spiritual hunger in a human way, and it, 
and it caused them to sin and caused the separation from Christ, from God. And so every year during this Christmas season, we get this small taste of Jesus coming. And, and for, Christ, uh, for Christians, for us Christians, it should leave us wanting more. Uh, we we want to see that uh, Jesus come again. And so we celebrate this first coming of Jesus and we get to see how he lived this perfect life and he alone fulfilled all these prophecies in the Old Testament. Uh, there was promise after promise after promise uh, of prophecy that here comes this promised one, this coming Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled all of that. And we see by his death on the cross that he conquered death once and for all and his kingdom was established. And so it gets even better than that because anyone that confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, it says that that person will be saved and made a citizen of this perfect kingdom. So as saved people, as, as Christians, we are living in this time of waiting, of anticipation that one day soon Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he's going to carry us home with him in his perfect presence where there is no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth, no more, no more pain, no more suffering. It's going to be this perfect kingdom. And so we're already made citizens of that kingdom. And so we get to look forward to that day. So as, um, in the meantime, in the meantime, what is it that we're to do? What, are, what is it that God commands us to do? How are we to live? And we are to be about the Lord's business. We are to be about the Lord's business. And as much as I'd like to kick back in my recliner, and I've got a nice one, I'm proud of that thing, as much as I like to kick back in that thing and face east every day and just wait on Jesus to return in the sky, that's not what he tells us to do. That's not how we were designed to live our lives. He called us to work, and not just frivolous work, but work as unto the Lord. He calls us not just to identify sin, but to confess sin, to see it and confess it and to flee from evil. Uh, we're not just to coexist with one another uh, especially those that think the same as we do, we are commanded to love one another and to act and move in such a way that there's this unity on us that appears to this outside world that we're this one body indwelled by the one Holy Spirit of God. And I truly believe that when you look around us, I don't know about you, but these are some of the strangest days I've ever experienced in my lifetime really odd the amount of uneasiness and unrest seems to be on the rise all around us I, I, I've got story after story I mean we just going and, and doing things that I've done for my entire life and, and seeing the breakdown the societal breakdown of how businesses are run or how traffic works and how people are indifferent to one another. Things are really weird um, in my mind. And if I'm being really honest, one of the things that concerns me the most as a father is the state of young people. I found this quote by this guy named David Wells. And David Wells points out how this spiritual hunger has particular application to young people who are often baffled by this the sense of emptiness that they feel. Listen to this quote. Um, this is David Wells speaking about young people. Their self-esteem is high, but their self is empty. 
They grew up being told they could be anything they wanted to be, but they do not know what they want to be. They are unhappy, but there seems to be no cause for their unhappiness. They are more connected to more people through the internet, i.e. social media, and yet they have not, they have never felt more lonely. They want to be accepted, and yet they often feel alienated. Never have we had so much. Never had we had so little. And I think that's a very well-stated observation. Um, I would say that we see this in younger people because they're seeing it in us, in, in adults. And this problem occurs and is perpetuated when us adults don't see and identify this in younger people and attack the source of the problem and, and point them to Jesus and pray that the Lord rescue them from this evil world. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, Satan is attacking this world, and he's attacking the young people of this world. And I would argue that for the most part, the American church does not have an answer to this. And what leads me to say this is simply some of these observations. And, and the first is this, is, is the American church growing or shrinking? And the, the statistics and all the evidence points to that the American church is shrinking. I mean, it, that's not good. It shows that the numbers each and every year for each generation grows less and less, and that the people that attend church is less and less, and that more and more churches are closing their doors. And you're thinking, yeah, you've heard that. I, you've said that before, Jed, or I've heard that somewhere. You know, okay. So, what's, so what is this? What about the young people? The next op- observation is, what is happening to all the young people? And, and it's just so easy to assume that they're just out doing something besides church. They're just out, they're out, they're out there. They're just doing something besides church. And I don't believe it's that simple. I don't believe it's that simple. Just read an article the other day. Uh, this, is, this is from a write-up from an insurance company um, from Indiana, the state of Indiana. And this one insurance company in the state of Indiana has seen a 40% increase in the death in working-age adults. A 40% increase. Th- this article points out that this is unprecedented. Uh, it says that uh, the death rate has been steady. It's a, it's a pretty standard calculation. Year over year, it follows population growth. It's a percentage of population growth. And so what they're saying here is that instead of it following population growth, which is steady year over year, it's jumped 40%. It said that a three, they call it a three sigma jump would be something that's really strange and really hard to explain. They said this is a 12 sigma jump. And before, they said it's not due to COVID. They said this, this can't be attributed to COVID deaths. They said we really don't know what's going on. So I say that to tell you even here locally, I know of another church where they've had three people, 25 and under, die 
two of them through suicide. So that's what, that's what led me to dig in deeper. So I did this search, you know, what's causing the death of, of young Americans. And here's what I found. In the year ending in April 2021, fentanyl claimed the lives of 40,000 Americans ages 18 to 45. Behind that was car accidents, and the third was suicide. So you may know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you've got Jesus, you, you've got no reason to take fentanyl. A lot of these fentanyl deaths, by the way, are people thinking they're just taking normal drugs and they're all mixed in with fentanyl. And fentanyl, like two milligrams, is a deadly dose to most people. They said that they've seized enough fentanyl as of this time this year, over this past year, to kill the entire population of the United States of America coming across the southern border. And while we're worried about our own health and wealth and, and inflation and things like that, thousands and thousands of people are dying without Jesus. I, I would argue that's what we should be more concerned about. So what I'm saying is, if you've got Jesus, you don't need fentanyl for relief. If your hope is in Jesus, if your hope is in Him, you don't need to turn to the hopelessness of suicide as an escape. Young people and people in general need to know that fentanyl or suicide cannot feed their spiritual hunger. Young people need to know, all people need to know, that the author of life leads us to give our lives back to Him and not destroy them for personal greed. You may say, Jed, you don't know anything about me. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the stresses and struggles of my life. And you know what? You're probably right. I'm blessed. I'm blessed to have a mother and father that are still married. I'm blessed to be raised in a Christian home. I'm blessed to have a godly wife. I'm blessed to have a great job. The Lord has blessed me, and I am thankful. And I may not know your struggles, but you know who does? Jesus. Listen to this in Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, Since then, since then we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. This is important right here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted in every way as we are, yet is without sin. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. You see, Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And he's been tempted in every possible way, even ways that you've not been tempted. And he alone has endured. It says that he was without sin and he never faltered. And because of this, we can confidently approach God to receive grace and mercy that we need to make it through the ups and downs of life. He gives that to us. I say all this negative, tough things because it's important to know that you cannot possibly grasp the good news if you don't know the bad news. You've got to know the brokenness and the sickness of that is in this world before you can see the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That brings us to this town of Corinth and this church that Paul has planted here. You see, from a tech, technological angle, 
we're far advanced from this city uh, back during this time, and many things have changed. They didn't have, you know, smartphones or technology like we have. But the situation of man is unchanged. You see that the Corinthians struggled with much the same exact sin that we're encountering today in modern-day America. They had the same spiritual hunger that needed to be filled. And while we may incorporate smartphones and tablets and social media and modern technology to aid us in our focus on ourselves, on, on sin, S-I-N, selfishness, the Corinthians did the same thing, but they did it in a more kind of obvious, out-in-the-open way. So a little bit of background on uh, Corinth, the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth at this time, it was a bustling trade city, a port city. And it's located on this little strip of land, this basically peninsula, that's about four miles across. And it actually allowed it to have an, a western port and an eastern port, seaport. And so... Uh, what you saw happen is that instead of having to travel all the way down around the tip of Greece and, and back up out into the uh, tumultuous Mediterranean Sea, the unpredictable larger sea, what they would do is actually take these boats and put them on logs and roll them across to the other port. Uh, pretty pretty neat, uh, ingenious way to do some, some business and some uh, trading between the ports. And so it was a very happen in place and because it was a happen in place Corinth was both a city of wealth and wickedness the wealth was directly related to the point uh, the fact that it was this major trade city and this major trade route you know Sparta's to the south and uh, Athens is to the north and so so many people from so many areas around the, uh, around the known world at that time are traveling and doing business through this port and so what, what are they bringing with them? They're not just bringing their dollars, but they're bringing their ideology. They're bringing their religions and their wickedness. So there's these temples there, and there's temple upon temple, dozens and dozens of temples. And each of these temples have what's known as temple prostitutes. There's, there's girls working in these temples and not working in good ways. And so to the point that even around the world at that time, other places to hire a prostitute they would often call it a Corinthian girl. Um, it was that wide, no, widely known that how wicked of a place it was that that had become synonymous with the, with the term Corinthian girl. So it was in this city that Paul, on his second missionary journey, all right, uh, Paul gets saved. Paul is, is confronted by Christ. Christ uh, saves Paul. Paul starts going on these missionary journeys. He goes on three main missionary journeys. And on the second one, he goes to the city of Corinth, and he spends about 18 months there. And he, while he's there, he plants this church. And, and so he, he's there for 18 months, plants a church, and then he moves on. And, and so this letter of 1 Corinthians that we're about to start studying is this letter from Paul uh, that he's writing back to the church in Corinth a couple of years after having set up that church. And, and so today we're going to be looking at uh, the first 17 verses of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1 here. Just follow along with me as we read. It says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother uh, Sothenus to the church of God that is in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus 
called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, uh, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did also baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I did not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the, cry, uh, the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So what I want us to do is try to put ourselves back into this, this time, back into this situation. What would it be like to be one of these church members and, and, and to have known Paul, to have been there when Paul set up the church, and now he's been gone for almost two years, and things are kind of getting a little shaky, and, the, and, and these sins are coming out in the church, and, and, and all of a sudden this letter shows up from the Apostle Paul. And you're thinking, oh, great. What's he, what's he about to say? What's about to happen? And so I want to break down these 17 verses here into a, a smaller segment let's look at uh, one through three again it says paul called by the will of god to be an apostle of christ jesus and our brother uh, uh i can't ever say his name uh to the church of god that is in corinth to the those sanctified in christ jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our lord jesus christ both their lord and ours grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ if you want to make a note here the first three verses, I want you to see this, that every Christian belongs to God. Every Christian belongs to God. You see, Paul, this is a big point to Paul. This is a major point. Paul makes the same point two other times in this letter. In, in uh, chapter 6, 19 through 20, he says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And then chapter 7, verses 23, he says this, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. And this can be a very tough pill to swallow, but it's a necessary one. Uh, remember how we've spent a good amount of time, a great length of time, talking about this importance of having this rock-solid foundation to build our life upon. Well, if you look at what Paul's doing here, he's not through kicking that dead horse, is he? He's... He's saying, yeah, here's the foundation. I hear that there's things going on, and, and here, here's where we're fixing to start. Um, 
the, the, one of the best ways I've had this explained to me, and I've talked about it here, and we've talked about it at length, is this idea of a throne. And I know my drawings are pitiful. I've, I've had critiques on that already once this morning. So I know these are supposed to be thrones. I know they look like basic chairs, but that's a throne. So in most of our lives, what we know is that self is on that throne. And Christ is somewhere over here. And so the majority of our lives, we're, we're, it's like this. Everything's, you know, like, hey, this is, this is my life. This is, this is about me. This is how I'm going to live. I'm, I'm going to keep myself on the throne. And in most days, I'm going to spend most of the time making sure that my happiness is fulfilled. But something happens when you get encountered by Jesus, right? When you encounter Jesus, you realize self isn't supposed to be on that throne. Christ is supposed to be on that throne. And self is supposed to be down here somewhere. And what happens is when Christ is on that throne, it becomes about Him and them and others. And your life is about reaching the world for Him and reaching others for Him and living for Him. Now what we try to do is try, we try to build on and add, add on to the throne and try to make it a two-seater. <laughs> we try to make that thing have like two places, like, hey, let's, let's both, let's, let's steer the ship together. And that's not how it works. There is one throne made for one king and one lord. And that can only be one person. It can either be self or it can be Christ. And so, Paul's saying... What he's saying when he leads off here, he's, he's, he's saying, first thing you've got to realize, guys, first thing you've got to realize, church, is who is in charge and who you belong to. You've got to realize that every Christian belongs to God. And the important thing for us today is this doesn't just hold true for church members in Corinth. It holds true for church members here in Crossville. So let's move on to the next point. Uh, verses 4 through 9 it says I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Second thing here, second point is this. Every Christian is enriched by God. Every Christian is enriched by God. I mean, back to this throne drawing real quick. Once you see that Christ is on the throne, and in the, in that you're sitting under the kingship of Jesus Christ, you realize real quick that He's doing a far better job than I ever did. I mean, I thought I had it under control, but God, when Jesus, when Jesus is king, when Jesus is Lord on the throne, he runs your life in a lot better way. And, and things start to happen. And, I mean, he starts enriching your life. And I don't want to get the cart before the horse here. I'm not saying you, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and you wake up with four gold bars under your pillow the next morning. That's not how it happens. I, I mean... You don't wake up, you know, and all of a sudden your pancreas is working. You're no longer a type 1 diabetic. That's not how things work. 
I mean, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but it can. I mean, what, what Christ is enriching our lives with is more than temporary health and wealth. He's given these things that, that uh, are eternal. Listen to some of this. He gives us this ultimate hope that He is in full control. He gives us eternal peace. He gives us grace upon grace. He clothes us in His righteousness. He replaces our hearts of stone with this heart of flesh, and He gives us new mercies every morning. He loves us when we are unlovable. Paul is saying, Hey, church, always remember that you belong to the Lord God, and He alone is able to give you a full life and meet all of your needs. Once again, this holds true for us today, just like it did for those people in Corinth. So we started off with that every Christian belongs to God, and then 4 through 9, we see that every Christian is enriched by God. This last one is every Christian possesses Christ. It's in 10 through 17. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? That's an important question. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Uh, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except uh, Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that they were baptized in my name. Um, here we see Paul start to dig in. He's starting, to, he's starting to get past the introduction and, and starting to address some of the problems that the church was mentioned, uh, that the church was experiencing. He mentions that there's these divisions that had formed and in, in that... Uh, there was quarreling among the members. But what I want you to see here is that instead of taking a side, one side or the other, he asked a pretty impressive question. He asked this question, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? And, And the answer is pretty much as simple as the as the question, right? No. No. Christ isn't divided. One of the main verses that you learn, and, and Paul would have known this, and, and a lot of the Jews would have known this, even probably some of the Gentiles would have known this, is back from Deuteronomy, is the Lord our God is one. It was like the John 3.16 before there was a John 3.16. It was a key verse. And so people were like, Paul, this person's doing this. Paul, this... Yeah, yeah. Is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? No. So, let me ask a couple of questions here. Charlie Alba. Do you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you think Christ is divided? Remember, what about you, Isaac? You claim, claim Christ? Did he save you from your sins? Do you believe Jesus is divided? How about you, Josh Miller? 
You, you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Is Christ divided? Daryl Smith, are you saved by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ? Is Christ divided? Uncle Ray, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Do you believe Christ is divided? Terry, do you know Jesus is your Savior? Do you believe Christ is divided? How about you, Pete? You know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Is Christ divided? Zach, do you claim Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Is Christ divided? Other Zach. Yes and yes. Yes and no. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Listen again to verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, all of you agree, that there is no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. So as it is by the testimony of many this morning, if you are in Christ, you possess Christ. And Paul says that if you all possess Christ, you should all be united in the same mind. Oh, Paul, Paul was a pretty smart guy, wasn't he? It's, the, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to take our minds off of Christ and our eyes off of Christ on the throne and look down on those around us. We're all guilty of it. We all do it every day, every week. Dale mentioned this last Sunday night, and it's, it's just something that's been in my mind for a couple of weeks now, and it's, it's this thing that I was basically catechized to by our pastor at, at Central Baptist Church, by Brother Roland, and it's the saying, if you watch me long enough, I'm going to let you down, and if I watch you long enough, you're going to end up letting me down. But if we both fix our eyes on Christ, he will never let us down. Let me close by saying this. It doesn't matter if you're a young teenage girl who just found out that you're fixing to give birth to the Messiah it doesn't matter if you're a church member in this wicked town in Corinth it doesn't matter if you're young or old or rich or poor or man or woman or boy or girl here in Crossville Tennessee the feeling of your spiritual hunger it can only be fed it can only be filled in Jesus and only Jesus That's what Paul's getting at here in 1 Corinthians. He's like, I hear all these troubles. I hear what's going on. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Because we, before we can even take the next step, we've got to start with Jesus. Jesus himself declares this. Oh, you're spiritually hungry? You're spiritually hungry? Listen to this. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. So as we leave out of here, as, as, as we go forth this week, I want you to keep that in mind that 
you're going to encounter, encounter spiritually hungry people. You yourself are spiritually hungry. Jesus alone is the bread of life that can fill that hunger. And, and, and we should work together in this unity to share this solution with this broken, hungry world around us. And that's the opportunity we got. The good thing is the Lord's plans are perfect and He will never fail. And we get to be a part of that. We don't have to shrink back in, in fear or, or anxiety. We can just trust the Lord and trust that His Holy Spirit is perfect and, and His plan will be perfectly worked out. And we get to be a part of that. All we need to do is focus our eyes on Him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, if you're spiritually hungry and you've not found that answer, then let's talk about it. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to Dale. We'll pray. We need to get you spiritually fed so you can feed others. That's the goal. Let's pray and let's, uh, let's go feed our physical hunger. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your servant, Paul, who... Uh, was a church planner and, and willing to follow up with churches, Lord, and, and write these, these letters. It's, it's, uh, it's great to see your, your hand on him and, and see the words that you gave him to share with churches, Lord. I pray that we read these words and we apply them to our hearts and we meditate on them daily. I pray that we don't go out of here and, 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 and turn our backs on your word. And, and turn our backs on our relationship with you but may we just seek to follow you and draw near to you in this in this crazy and messed up world lord i pray for those local families that have experienced suicide lord and in the brokenness that's going on in the world around us may may that just stop may may people run to you instead of running the other way and running to drugs and running to all these other things that are temporary and 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 not even close to being able to fulfill our lives, Lord. I pray for um, Vanessa and her father, Lord. I pray for uh, the Dalton family, Lord, right now. I pray that your hand be on them. I pray for all these missionaries that we mentioned this morning. I pray that you bless them in this year ahead. May they be spiritually fruitful for you. I pray um, for our church, Lord, that we, we move forward in unity, that we see opportunity and we join together to move as one body under one spirit, Lord. I, I, I just thank you for the ways you bless us. I, I thank you for this food that we're about to eat to fill our physical hunger. I thank you for this warm place, Lord. Several years ago, it would have been real cold and you've blessed us with a warm place, Lord, and we thank you for this new warm place. We, we thank you for all the blessings you pour out on us. And I pray that, uh, that as, we, as we seek in this world, as we go from place to place, that we do it with our eyes on you. May we always be looking to you. Um, be with us now as we leave and uh, as we eat. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Please stay and eat.